Thanks so much for leading us, ladies. That's, uh, yeah, time well spent. Um, look, we're going to come to the Word now, and we're going to hear from the Lord as He speaks to us through the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Nehemiah chapter 10, um, is where we're going to begin. And if you're just picking up the story uh, with us today, we've been making our way through this wonderful book of the Old Testament, which describes to us a period of Israel's history at the end of the exile. So the, the, the Hebrews had failed to keep covenant with God and he had turned them over. They'd been conquered by the Babylonians and now here we are a few generations later and people have started to, to return from Babylon to Israel where under the leadership of a governor named Nehemiah, they have rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And then having completed that task, uh, they turn to rebuilding their spiritual lives. They return to the covenant that they had made with God so long ago at the foot of Sinai. Um, they get their Bibles open. They, they, the, the people gather together in the courtyards inside the city of Jerusalem, and they, they ask that the leaders and the priests open the Bible for them and begin to read what it says. And we've, we've seen this wonderful um, cycle on the next slide here, thanks, Dave, um, that's been playing out uh, in the life of the people now for, for, for more than a week. This, this massive period of exciting spiritual renewal has just been taking place as the people open the Bible. And when we open the Bible, what happens? God speaks because the Bible is God's own word given to us so that he can reveal himself to us, so that we can know him. God speaks to us through the Bible. And then so often what happens when we read the Bible is the next thing that follows is sorrow as we realize that we are not good like he is good, that we do not walk in his ways, that our hearts have been far from him. Um, but that sorrow isn't there to condemn us. No, we're meant to move on to that next step, the joy of salvation, knowing that this same Bible which reveals our sin also reveals our Saviour. Uh, the salvation that comes from God, the grace and mercy that comes from Him, and so our sorrow is supposed to turn into the joy of the redeemed, and it is that joy which leads us into a life of obedience. Now, this has just been such a significant period of time. People just can't get enough of worshipping together. Like they're coming to church before the announcements and... <laughs> sick burn, that's a sick burn. Um, there's, there's widespread repentance going on. Um, and so during that period of time, the people have now drafted a, a kind of a covenant letter, like a, like a, a thing that people are signing on to, a, a moment of covenant renewal. They're making very specific commitments. They're now at the obedience step of that cycle uh, and they are now committing to walk with the Lord in all these sorts of ways with a new, renewed appetite for godliness that has come from this encounter with God. These are the things they're saying we will do. So we've been going through these commitments slowly because they're so practical, they're so helpful. Uh, and last week we looked at their commitment to marry within the faith. And this week we're considering um, one verse which comes to us in verse 31 um, where the people say this, if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, when you read that verse of the Bible, you think to yourself, Matt can preach for an hour on this and you'd be right because that's what we're going to do today. Obviously, this commitment that the people are making is to do with the Sabbath. And so that's going to be the thing that we mainly concern ourselves with today, the Sabbath principle found in God's Word. 
They're committing to, to, to keep Sabbath in three ways. They say that they're not going to purchase anything from foreigners who come trading in the land of Israel on the Sabbath day. Uh, they commit to keeping the Sabbath principle in farming, letting their fields lie fallow every Sabbath year. Uh, and they commit to the forgoing of their debtors, which is a thing that happens on the seventh lot of seven years, every 50th year in the year of Jubilee. All of these commitments are joined together by a golden thread, which is made from the one principle, um, which is the principle of Sabbath rest. They're all part of Sabbath. And we can trace that theme through the Bible, and in doing so, I think we find lots of help to understand why this commitment matters. Turns out that when you think of the Sabbath, you should not think primarily of the law of Moses. The Sabbath principle is older than Moses. We don't find it first at Sinai, but rather in Genesis. At the end of the creation week, we read of it in Genesis chapter 2, which says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Hopefully that's familiar to you. Here's a question. Have you ever thought about this? I think that there is a question which hangs over the creation account and the Sabbath rest in particular. And the question is, why did God rest on the Sabbath? Why did God rest on the Sabbath? Because I think if we, just, if we came at this with a poor understanding of who God is, or if we, if we assumed he was just like us, reading that story, you might come to the conclusion that God rested because God was tired. Like, that's what happens with us after a hard week of work, isn't it? A big week of doing stuff, it's been hard yakka, and now I'm knackered, and I want to rest. Is, is that what God is doing? Did God go through the process of making literally everything that has ever been made in the whole universe within a week and then think to himself, you know what, I could go a bit of a lie down? No, that's not possible. God is inexhaustible. In Psalm 121, we're told, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So God's resting has got nothing to do with God being tired. It's got a different purpose. It turns out that God's rest for him, it seems, is, is mostly about joy, about enjoying. He had made this world and he had made it good. And he had put people in this world whom he had crafted into his own image and put his own breath in their lungs. And then he had decided that he would spend some time walking with them and enjoying them. That day of rest is the ultimate celebration of the creation week, do you understand? He has made all this and he has made us in order for him to enjoy us. And so he was committed to doing it. I, I can relate to this, I think. I have recently become aware, it was a surprise to me, but maybe it was less of a surprise to you, but I am now officially middle-aged. If the, if the jumper wasn't enough to give it away. <laughs> there have been signs, there have been cues that I should have been picking up on for some time. For example, 
The TV show Grand Designs is suddenly like crack cocaine to me. I cannot give enough. I cannot get enough, and I, I always am looking forward to my next fix. The other sign is that all of a sudden, I care far too much about my lawn. There's an age, right, where it happens automatically. There is something about caring for a lawn, how, how, how patient and consistent that you need to be that is so immensely rewarding. You, you work hard, you mow, you fertilise, you, you dig up the grubs, you plough the things, you dig the holes, but then eventually you get to that moment when you finally, after the mow, with everything looking particularly green and flat and neat, where I will just take my fold-out chair and just go and sit in the yard <laughs> with a cup of tea, my feet up, and I'll just, sit, I'll just sit there. There's a thought, there's a feeling. This is nice. I like this. It's a, it's a well-earned contentedness. I am enjoying, when I do this, the fruit of my labour. Do you understand? The first Sabbath is more like that. God has made this world in order to be enjoyed. He has given it to us as a gift. Uh, and he is enjoying it with us. And so, on that Sabbath, God stops to delight. We also find in this Sabbath principle uh, a secondary purpose, which is for us more so than it is for God. Um, Jesus would later on tell us in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man as a gift, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, which, by the way, is Jesus telling us that he's God because the Sabbath only has one Lord. The Sabbath was gift to us, do you understand? It was a gift, a blessing, a kindness. God rested to set in place an order to his creation, a kind of repeating, rhyming rhythm for all time, which has been baked into the fabric of the world. You can't get rid of it. The same part of the Bible which teaches us that marriage is an ongoing part of creation for all humans is the part of the Bible that teaches us about the Sabbath. The seventh day, set apart from the other six days as special. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set it apart and so now, for all time, for all people, this is meant, there is meant to be a seventh day rest set apart as holy for us to enjoy, as well as for God to enjoy. To enjoy our creator and his creation. A day for, this is nice, I like this. Thank you so much, our creator God. But of course, if we were to continue reading the book of Genesis, we get to Genesis chapter 3, where we read of the fall and how that breaks everything. We read how under the curse, the human race is cut off from God and now lives in hostility towards him. And Sabbath isn't a thing you do without faith in the God who made this world. And so by the time we come to Sinai and the giving of the law and its repetition in Deuteronomy, when God is setting the Hebrews apart as a covenant nation, one of the commands that he binds them to is to the keeping of of the Sabbath. This is really important to God that his people would continue to follow this rhythm, but now he needs to make it a rule. It's not a thing that people are doing naturally. It's exceptional. It turns out that the Sabbath 
is a really central feature of the law of Moses. It's a big deal for Israel. It's not sitting to the side as some obscure niche thing that only the expert priests knew about. It's right in the middle. It has a pride of place even in comparison with the rest of the law. What was baked in from creation is now intensified as an expectation. It's a part of covenant keeping that the Hebrews would walk in the Sabbath. Some big examples. We read of the command to Sabbath amongst the Ten Commandments, the central part of the law. It's commandment number four. Deuteronomy 5.12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you do. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. You can hear him saying that. When you were slaves, uh, slaves, you weren't free to do this. But I've brought you out from slavery and now because I've brought you out, you are to rest. One every seven. By placing it here in the Ten Commandments, God gives us an indicator of how important this principle is to him. The Ten Commandments are the central summary of the whole law. Within the Ten, the entire law of Moses finds its fulfillment. And what's more, the Ten can be summarized in the two. When asked what is the most important law in, 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 in the entire Old Testament, Jesus told us, hopefully you know, it is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. That's the first four of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Sabbath keeping is part of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. What we find at Sinai is that Sabbath is about worship. It is about trusting God to be God and revering Him as holy. It's about trusting Him to provide for you and to meet your needs and to keep the world turning whilst you rest. It is about preventing idolatry. It's about knowing who He is and who you are. So this part of their covenant keeping, this Sabbath resting, was one of the things that kept Israel distinct from all the other nations as God's special people devoted to him. <laughs> this principle is so serious in the law of Moses that it doesn't just apply to people and to slaves and to donkeys. It applies to paddocks. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 25, we read this. Um, there's a few selections from here. This is from verse 2. So speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyards and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of it your, uh, itself uh, in your harvest." Or gather the grapes of your undressed vine 
it shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. Not only does the Sabbath apply to the land, it applies to money. Go um, verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. This is the beginning of the day of Jubilee, which happens once every 50, on the 50th year. Um, what do we do on the year of Jubilee? Verse 28. Speaking of a, a man who has sold his property because he was in strife, it says, if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return to his property. Again, in verse 39, it says, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee, and then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. So not only does the paddock get a rest every seven years, but once on the 50th, uh, every year on the, every 50th year, the, the culmination of seven Sabbaths for the land... The Jubilee begins. The moment that the Day of Atonement is complete. Isn't that just, a, just an amazing picture? No, no sooner has the high priest finished um, offering the, the sacrifices for the sins of people and representing them for God, then a trumpet is blown and a celebration begins of God's forgiving grace where in the land debts were cancelled and forfeited properties were returned. We know that the Sabbath is a serious and central part of God's law because it's in the ten, because it runs right through the whole thing, and because it describes serious punishments for those who would undermine the Sabbath in the land of Israel. That's, that's the one that I've always found the hardest to understand about the Sabbath, actually. Why would God, line, why would God command punishments for those who fail to keep it? Well, because in the law, the Sabbath is about worship. And so failure to keep it is a lot like idolatry. All these laws were announced to the people of Israel at the beginning of their standing as a covenant nation. And the people replied, all these things we will do. And then it turns out that they did not, in fact, keep the Sabbath holy. And so now, fast forward, here we are at the beginning of the end of the exile and the people are being re-established in the land, they've begun to read God's word, and they've read all that stuff that we've just read. And uh-oh, we have not been doing that. You, it, like, if, if, if I'm right, and this, these three commitments they are making are three commitments that they have not been keeping, that means the people were not keeping every Saturday holy. That means that the people were not resting their paddocks when they should have been. And it means that they were not forgiving debt on the year that they should have been forgiving debt. Turns out the people have found a loophole with the Sabbath. All the Hebrew-run shops might be closed, but all the other nations that they're living among, they don't do the Sabbath thing. And so a foreigner can come trading on a Saturday, and the Hebrews have been doing business as usual with them. 
because of course they haven't been keeping the Sabbath. It turns out (laughs) that one of the tensions, the main tension that we have with Sabbath, it sounded pretty good up until this point, even though it was made for us to be a blessing, even though it meets, uh, uh, meets a very real need in all of us, there is something in us that doesn't like the Sabbath. It boils down to, it's costly. It comes at expense. Not working for a day means I don't get paid and I fall behind. It means if something feels like it's out of control, I have to leave it be for a day. And that's stressful. It is hard to surrender that emotional sense of control. Not planting the field means less produce, which might mean less security for the future. And cancelling the debt of my debtors is expensive and makes me feel like I'm missing out on my rights, doesn't it? Forgiveness is costly. Sabbath, viewed through the eye of the flesh alone, is a waste of a day. But you can't escape the Sabbath. It is both a blessing and a need. It is not a surprise that modern researchers are finding that when people have a day off a week, they are more productive. It is not a surprise that modern farming has discovered that rotating your crops and resting your fields leads to better yields. The Sabbath principle is built into the fabric of creation as a general grace for all people everywhere, all the time. It is both a blessing and a need. And so the people of God read God's word and saw the whole in their holiness. And in light of this spiritual renewal they are experiencing, they commit to change. We will keep the Sabbath. We will not buy on the wrong day. We will not plant on the wrong year. And we will forgive debt. So what does that all mean for us here in the church? It says a lot. When we come to the New Testament, what we see is that Jesus radically transforms the Sabbath for us. He redeems us from the law and all of its punishments. And it turns out that he himself is the ultimate fulfillment of this principle of Sabbath rest, which God has been teaching his people about throughout their whole history. We read of it, for example, in Hebrews chapter 4. The whole chapter is about this, but I'll just read a selection going from verse 7. It says again, he appoints a certain day. That's God appoints a certain day. Today is the day. Saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken on another day later on, spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did his. What's all that saying? (laughs) It's telling us that the weekly rhythm of Sabbath rest points to a higher thing. It has another reason for existing and that we have the answer to that higher thing in Jesus. Jesus has opened the way of salvation 
and reconciliation to God. And it comes to all who enter it by faith and not by working. The salvation that Jesus has made for us comes to us, not by our working hard and earning it, but by our receiving it through faith in him. In other words, by our resting, by our not working, not by working, but by entering into his rest. The one who is not saved stands before God's judgment in distress and without rest. There is an infinite gulf between them and God, which has been created by their sin. And so often people try and fill that hole by being good, by doing well. But we are not good, and so we will forever be filling that hole without result. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, has come to give us rest from futile labor, to do what we cannot. Our ultimate rest is faith. Faith that Jesus has taken away my sin and reconciled me to God, and it is finished. There is nothing left to do. Like creation was finished on the sixth day, my soul is safe in his hands. And so the Sabbath says to us as Christians, come today and be reconciled to the only source of true rest. It says to those who are not yet believers, come today and be reconciled to the only source of true rest. Can you relate to that call in the Christian life? We get tired, don't we? For some reason, even though we have such a gracious offer and invitation from our God, we still try and do it under our own strength. We still try and be God on his behalf. There's a, there's a song that I really enjoy written by a Christian band called Citizens. It's called Relent. The lyrics go like this. I have strived enough to know that this divide could never be repaired through countless second tries. And still I stay the course avoiding what is right. And now I'm so tired. Can you relate to that? Are you tired? <laughs> Does the life of faith seem like a heavy burden and not a relief? Come today and find rest at the hand of a merciful Savior who is full of grace and compassion and who has sent his Son to be what you are not. Come, come to him because his, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Do you know what those words mean? It means he will have you. Now, you, broken, dirty, failure, you. This is the most important aspect of Sabbath for the Christian. It is the culmination of the creation principle. We have been born again. And now have rest in him who saved us. But all of that leaves us with one last question. <laughs> if our ultimate rest is in Jesus, and we have that rest through faith in him, do we as Christians still keep a weekly Sabbath? There are those who will say, 
that because Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath, we are free to ignore it. And they have a point, I should add. The book of Romans, for example, tells us that yes, when it comes to a weekly Sabbath rest, this is an area of Christian freedom. Having obtained the real thing, you can go without the lesser one. Romans 14 verse 5 says that one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We don't need to sort out that argument, says Paul. To that I would add, if you choose not to Sabbath weekly, you are bonkers. He is giving you permission to be wrong. (laughs) It's not an issue of sin. But we still live in a world, the same world that was created in Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus told us that man can't live by bread alone. But you still need bread, right? Likewise, each day is the same. You are in Sabbath rest every day of the calendar week if you are in Christ. But your body will delight. (laughs) Your soul will be refreshed. You will receive God's kindness to you if you continue in the pattern of weekly rest. It's how life has been designed to work. Let's return to what Jesus said about the Sabbath. We read it at the beginning in Mark chapter 2. Jesus said to us that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift And not a burden. It's not a stick to hit you with. It was made for you by God. You can go without that if you want. But you are missing out. Thank you for your gift, God. I don't want it. Bonkers. (laughs) One day out of seven, you are free to rest from your labor without guilt because God is not expecting you to work that day he has set you free to enjoy him and his creation without further responsibilities it's a gift it was made for you we have that rest every day but let me encourage you today to stop and enjoy it especially one day out of seven Because our God is rich in mercy. It has long been the practice of most Christians to stop. Not on the original Sabbath day, not on the last day of the week, the end of creation, but rather on the first day of the week being Sunday. Yes, let's put that debate to death. Why Sunday? Because that's the day that Jesus rose. To keep a weekly Sabbath is to receive God's kindness to you. To receive a blessing. Most of us, 99% of us, if we're going to do this, should make it a Sunday. The day when we gather together to worship, that's the obvious time in the week. There are some of us who are working really hard on a Sunday. And so to those of you, I say, do it another day and don't miss out. Stop for a day and enjoy your creator and his creation. Rest from work as an act of faith which says, I am not God and you are. Rest 
knowing that Jesus has worked for you and has won your salvation and so rest without guilt, knowing that God does not condemn you. Rest in him in this way and watch as it encourages you to be near to the one who loves us and to experience his gracious provision for you. Watch as this helps you to draw near to him and to trust him more. Let's pray. Hmm. Sabbath, the seventh, set apart as holy, our God. Turns out it's a bigger principle than we might have thought. We thank you for that golden thread which, which runs right through the whole of your Bible and calls us to remember that faith is about rest. There is a time for work, Lord. There is a separate sermon we could preach to the lazy. But today, speak to us Marthas in the room who don't know when to stop and remind us of the gift of rest. Father, we're not, we're not talking here merely about a, a wise practical routine like exercise, but rather a spiritual discipline Help us to see it as such. Help us to view this world and our place within it through the lens of who you are and what you have done. And as a result, set us free to stop and to enjoy and to delight and to rest. Thank you, our God, that you are our good Father who gives us good gifts that you know our needs and have graciously provided for every one of them. Thank you for the gift of rest. Most especially, our God, we thank you for the rest for our souls found in Jesus Christ. Without him, without your mercy, without your grace, we would have no true rest in this world. But Lord... <laughs> The provision of Jesus is enough. Help us in our stopping to be acknowledging his finished work and to be praising your effectiveness, your power, your work, your might, and your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name.